Uh, well, welcome to Divine Community Church. If you are here for the first time again, I want to reiterate what a privilege it is to have you in worship with us. We are, are really glad that you're here this morning. We have been um, extensively looking at the book of Ephesians for the past, well, it's been, I've been 35 weeks or something like that. It's been almost a year. We've taken some time for Advent and other things along the way, but, but it's been this 35-week journey trying to get through five chapters. We've, we've broken it down. Some weeks we've moved through one or two verses. Some weeks we've moved through a little bit more, but we've tried to take it and really divide and parse out these words that Paul's commanding us to as the church. And remember, this letter is written to the church to look at what the church's relationship should look like, not only to one another, but to the world around us. And we've explored it, and, and it's been a doozy. It's been challenging. We've hit some very challenging and very precise and very specific things, especially in chapter 5. Paul addressed some really challenging things in chapter 5 as he talked about things like sexual immorality, definitions of, of sexuality and impurity. We talked about greed and obscenity and things that come out of our mouths. We've talked about drunkenness. We've talked about specific things that Paul calls the church to live in contrast to the world over. And that what he's doing is he's essentially setting up this idea that followers of Christ are called to live differently than the world around them. It's called to be echoed in the way that they see things sexually. It's called to be echoed in the way that they speak and in their language. It's called to be echoed in the way that they live. And he does that in chapter 5 by saying this, that we are called to be imitators of God. And that's the setup for all of chapter 5. The followers of Christ are called to be imitators of God. And as we work through those specific things, we run into this bigger picture that just shows that the church is the expression of God's divine grace and love by which he is going to demonstrate that love to the world. We become, as the church, the expression of God's incredible grace and love to the world because we are wholly different. Not because believers are better or more pious or they're more moral, but because they have been saved and delivered and they live for a different purpose. And that doesn't stop with the individual. It runs through the context of the church, and as we're going to see today, it runs through the context of family. And so what Paul does at the end of chapter 5 is he takes that same concept of being imitators of God, and he calls us to live in these sort of powerful ways that demonstrate Christ's love and expression of his grace to the world. And he says that is not just for the individual but it actually echoes through the family. And he's going to take some time in these next verses to talk about wives and husbands and marriage and children and the relationship that they have together and how that looks wholly different from what the world says marriage and family and relationships should look like. And so as we look to the end of chapter 5, we're going to step into this little mini-series in the middle of Ephesians in which we're going to talk about rules for Christian households. Rules for husbands and wives and marriage and children and, and these ideas that we have been wholly set apart to live differently. Now, it's important to understand this. Two important caveats that we're going to get to. They're going to kind of set this thing up before we kind of really get into it. And the first is that Paul's writing with a very specific definition of marriage in mind. We've talked about it a lot already in Ephesians. We dealt with it in chapter 5. And he's talking to believing couples. Now, these are important things to understand because Scripture does have things to say about couples that have one believing spouse and not another. And there are ways to live within that and encouragement from both Paul and Peter in that context. But this context in chapter 5 is written to believing husbands and wives. And the definition that we're working with with marriage that Paul has in mind is the one that we've talked about at the beginning of chapter 5, which is this idea that biblical marriage in this picture is between one man and one woman in which two become one 
flesh. That's the picture that Paul's working with, right? And it's important to know that because it's the framework in which we're going to be exploring relationships of husbands and wives. And so we have that in our mind, and we have this idea in our mind that this is a husband that has surrendered his life to the Lord, and this is a wife that has surrendered her life to the Lord. And so when we're talking about things of submission and whatnot, we're dealing with the reality that these are believing married couples. Now, that being said, I recognize that that doesn't fit into everybody's paradigm and understanding. I'm not married, or I'm single, or I want to be married, but I'm not, or, or my situation isn't quite like that. I understand all that. That's important, and Scripture has some things to say specifically to those things. But for our context this morning, for us to understand what Paul's getting at with a broader picture of marriage in mind, we have to keep these definitions that we're working with, right? And they're really valuable. And they're valuable to those of us that aren't married or want to be married or in a, a marriage that is somewhat broken or fractured because these are value points in which God is calling us back to and towards. So just because we're talking... Pro- specifically about wives and husbands this morning and next week, does not exclude you if you don't fall into one of those categories. This is the biblical picture of what God is giving us for this idea of Christian family. So let's, let's pay attention to it. Don't exclude it because you're not a wife this morning or next week because you're not a husband. But we are addressing these as they come, and they are specific. So if you're here for the first time, I want you to understand that we're looking at this in, in the context of a much bigger picture over weeks and weeks and weeks, in which hopefully you could go back and even listen and see where we're coming from and not isolate this as a one sermon. It is a actually a picture of a much more incredible letter that Paul has laid out. But we only have time to look at it a piece at a time. And this morning, we're going to be speaking directly to wives, just as Paul did. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to chapter 5. Because it's a real doozy in terms of what we want to hear culturally, right? Soon as I say, wives, submit to your husbands, every single one of us in here bristle a little bit, right? Men and women. Because, well, number one, I think that the, the definition of submission has been stolen by culture. We misunderstand it and we've redefined it in a way that the world says and not what is biblical, which is we're going to redefine it this morning. And number two we have a real perverted idea of what it means to give our lives to someone else. And so what we're going to do this morning in light of these verses that we're going to read is we're going to do some, some really simple things. They're going to be, get complex in the middle, but they're going to be really simple. We're going to redefine what submission is from a biblical standpoint. We're going to talk about what submission is when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. We're going to talk about what it actually is. We're going to talk about what it actually is not. And then I'm going to give you two really important contexts that frame all this together that get kind of buried in those verses that I don't want you to miss, okay? These are not verses to be afraid of. They're not verses to shy away from. They're not verses that we should skip over because we don't like what they say. When we run headlong into things in Scripture that we don't understand or that we don't like or that kind of make us bristle, that is actually an invitation to dive in deeper and say, God, what does this mean? How does it fit within the context of Scripture as a whole? And what are you teaching us? Because Scripture is the basis by which we live our life in all faith and practice. We don't pick and choose. We, we dive in, we get deeper, we wrestle with it, and we say, God, what are you teaching us? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to redefine some things. We're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, and then we're going to lay out two really important things. So we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to just dive straight into it. It's the best way to handle and deal with Scripture. And this, truthfully, is really really beautiful stuff. When you understand the context of what Paul is saying and what God is doing, the idea of submission, not just wives to husbands, but husbands to wife and the church to one another, is an incredible, 
and beautiful call. So don't be afraid of it. This morning is going to be great. So if you got your Bible, open up to chapter 5. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to dive straight into it because there's really no better way than just to get into it and root around a little bit. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your word, that it is not something that we are afraid of. It is not something that we are hesitant in. We love your word. And therefore, when we run into things in your word that are challenging to our spirit or even are challenging to what we hear, instead of turning the page of pretending they're not there, we want to dive in deeper and say, God, what is your principle? What are you doing? What are you teaching us? What are you saying? And how is that valuable to what you're calling us to do and be in the world? Lord, Scripture is your love letter to us. It is the very breath of God. We say this each week. It is the theopunestos. It is the breath of God. It is breathed out onto us. And it is perfect and right for all matters of faith and practice in life. And therefore, God, we embrace it. And so, Lord, don't let us shy away from words like submission or biblical definitions of marriage. Let us fully, Lord, embrace it and just say, God, what are you teaching and what are you doing? And how can I know you more? So take a moment, right, as you sit here this morning, and just ask the Lord to do this. Lord, whatever preconceived ideas or notions I may have about marriage or about those verses or verses like, you know, wives submit to your husbands, just let me hear your word with clean and fresh ears. Like, Don't let me carry my own agenda in. Let me just listen to what you're saying. And ask the Lord to teach you. As simple as that may be, Lord, just teach me. Lord, we love you. We love the people around us. We want to be people that care about their spiritual growth. So pray for the people around you this morning. Pray for your husband or your wife or your family or just someone you may or may not even know. If you're here for the first time, we do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray that God would move in them, that he would teach them, that if there's a struggle point in their heart, that he would reconcile it. Just pray for the people around you this morning. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We ask that you would be glorified, that you would be the revealer of truth and the teacher of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are directly speaking to wives in the context of speaking to the entire church. That is what Paul is doing. He's written this letter to the entire church, just like we are gathered here today. But he pauses for a moment and he addresses the sisters of Christ in the room. He addresses those specific women. And so essentially, that's what we're doing this morning. We're in the middle of all this, and we pause for a moment, and we're speaking directly to wives. And next week, we're going to be speaking directly to husbands. And the following week, we're going to be speaking directly to children, because this is essentially what Paul's doing. He's got the gathered ecclesia, the body, and in the context of his letter, he says, I have some things that I want to share with you that are specific to your nature and to your role. And that's where he starts. And we're actually going to begin in verse 21 where we left off last week. And we're going to, it's going to carry us into verse 22 and through 24. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But this is what he says in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You can't not hear it, right? I mean, it is there, and it says specifically, wives submit to your husbands. Now, the two caveats I gave you are important, right? We're talking about marriage biblically defined, as we've talked about all through chapter 5, between one man and one woman, in which the two become one flesh. And we're talking about believing couples, men and women that have surrendered their lives individually to Jesus Christ and are followers of his. That's who Ephesians is written to. Gentile and Jewish Christians that have given their lives to Christ. Paul has spent the entire first four chapters explaining to them what they have in terms of theologically being saved by Christ. Chapter 5 has been now how we're going to begin to live that out. And he says that's not just individual, but it also falls in the context of marriage. And he begins this section with the same verse that he ties up the last section with, which is verse 21. And we led into it last week when we talked about this individual call and commands that we have as followers of Christ. And he ends with verse 21 in which he says, right, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I told you last week that this becomes the call of the church, that we are called to lay down our lives for one another. Well, Paul uses that exact same verse as the tie-in to the next section on Christian households and wives and husbands. He ends one section with the same verse that he begins the next section with because they are intricately tied together. And we have to understand the idea of submission before we understand what he calls the church to and what he calls Christian husbands and wives to. And last week I told you that that word submission has been commandeered and taken by culture to mean something that it doesn't mean biblically. So from a cultural standpoint, submission is sort of the forced taking of a will. So think of it in terms of, um, if you will, in some type of, of fight scenario or MMA or whatever, where it's like you're battling against someone else. Their power, their strength overwhelms you and you are left to do what? To submit. If you don't submit, you will be overrun. And culture has used that definition for submission, which means I have to give in to the power of someone else or I will be overrun, overtaken, or their authority will supplant me. That's kind of how culture deems this idea of submission. It is a forced laying down of my will in which I really don't want to, but I have no other choice. Because if I don't, right, someone else's power or their authority or their voice will overrun me or bully me or push me out. And so it's no wonder when we read verses like, wives submit to your husbands, that the hair on our arms bristles, both for men and women. Because it's such a poor biblical picture and understanding of that word. Now, from a biblical standpoint, we're going to take back that definition of submission like I told you last week. Because from a biblical standpoint, the idea of submission is the voluntary laying down of your life for someone else because of your love for Jesus. And he says it right there in verse 21, right? He says right there in verse 21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the idea of submitting in that context is I am going to willfully and joyfully lay down my life for another brother and sister in Christ because I love Jesus out of reverence for Christ. So when I submit, basically what I'm saying is I get to joyfully lay down my life to become a servant for someone else because I love Jesus. And this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus joyfully and voluntarily laid down his life for those he created because of his absolute love for the Father. 
Jesus died for the sins of you and of me and of the entire world voluntarily and willfully because of his love and obedience to God the Father. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Submission is the idea that we get to joyfully lay down our lives for someone else because we love Christ more. That is what he says at the end of that little section on becoming imitators of God as individual followers of Christ. Mutual submission to one another in the church. And we talked last week about this, the idea of being last. What if I gave my life away, the call is to give my life away for the community? To actually be a blessing on others and not to be blessed. To, to help and not just look to be helped. To not try and see what I can get out of life, but instead lay down my own life. Submission, the idea of mutual submission is that if we all begin to lay down our lives joyfully and willfully to one another, because we love Jesus more, the contrast that shows the world of how believers live. Remember, take this all the way back to John 13. When Jesus is sitting with the disciples on the very night that he's betrayed. Remember what he tells them? The night that they're all going to abandon him, the night that he is going to be basically arrested by a torch-bearing mob, he says, look, a new command I give you. And he's looking right at the disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how the entire world will know you're my disciples, by how you love one another. The world will know you follow Christ by the way that you live that is wholly different. That you love one another as I loved you. And how did Jesus love them? Sacrificially and unconditionally, and he laid down his life for them. So submission in this context is this joyful opportunity that I get to lay down my life for someone else. And right now we're talking about someone else because verse 21 is still tied to the context of the entire church. This is how you're called to love the person sitting next to you. Willfully and joyfully laying down your life because of Jesus. Now, Paul's going to use that same expression. He's going to talk specifically to husbands and wives. He takes the tail end of that that's tied up to that bigger call, and he says, now I want to use this same framework and the same verbiage and the same language to talk about wives and husbands. So what is submission really? And he says this, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So what in the world really is submission then? We've got our working definition, right? The joyful and voluntary laying down of my life in this context for my husband because I love Jesus, right? But in the bigger context, for another. So I thought what we'd do is the best way to look at this is just kind of talk about what submission in this context is and what it isn't. And I think, and I'll do these kind of quickly because there's a whole lot of them, but but the idea is simply this, as we begin to talk about what this is. We're going to talk about the idea that submission is a few things, and it also isn't a few things. But in this context, submission, first and foremost, is willful and voluntary. It's important. It's right in the middle of our definition. You have to understand this before you can even really grasp it. You can't turn that off in your mind. You are not being forced into any type of submission. There's not a power at play here. It is willful and voluntary. So in the context of biblical marriage, submission is willful and voluntary, meaning I get to. I don't have to. It is a call to be obedient to Christ the same way that it is a call to be submissive to Christ. It is willful and it is voluntary. And it's really important that we understand that because power does not come into play here. That is a perverted view of the definition. So if we think that somehow submission is my husband pushes me into a place where I have given up my voice 
and who I am and I don't want to, we have missed what Paul is saying. So the first thing we have to understand about submission is it's willful and voluntary. I get to. It's like serving other people, right? I get to die to myself and serve the world around me because of how Christ has given his life for me. I get to be obedient, not because I have to, but because God calls me to something wholly bigger and wholly better. So submission in this context, first and foremost, is willful and it is voluntary. The second thing that it is, is that it is is not one-sided, right? So we know that from 21, right, where he says that we are called to submit to one another. This is not something that wives are just called to do, but actually what we're going to see next week is that husbands are called to love their wives in the exact same manner. And in verse 21, within this bigger context, husbands are called to submit to their wives in the same type of mutual submission that we are called to submit to in one another. However, there is a very specific and beautiful call here that is directly for wives of husbands. So yes, we are all called to mutually submit to one another, and husbands are called to submit to their wives, but there is some kind of beautiful, distinct calling that a wife has from the Lord to serve and love her husband willfully and voluntarily. Right? Got to keep that in mind. So it's willful and voluntary. It is is not one-sided, but it is a special and direct call. The third thing that we see in terms of submission is that it is an acknowledging and an embracing of the order of Christian households. Now listen to what Paul says here, right? It's important. He says, wives, submit to your husbands and the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So you cannot read these verses without realizing that God has created some kind of established order. We serve a God who is a creator, a God who orders. It's not haphazard creation that God just sort of spun into motion. But God has ordered and created things. And part of that order and creation, he has created and ordered biblical marriage. He has given specific roles to specific individuals. And part of submission or the idea of submission is acknowledging this created order that God has established. And God has established that role where he says right here in these verses, the wives you should submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. There is an established order in those verses. Now, a lot of us look at those things or a lot of people have said, well, if he calls us to mutual submission, then that means that there's, there's no real relationship or, or uh, special designation between husband and wife. And therefore, there are no real created boundaries or roles or orders there. And the answer is yes and no. Yes, we do have mutual submission, but we also have very specific created roles. And those roles are equally important and equally beautiful. We shouldn't shy away from that reality because it's not a power play. It's not a thing in which one is placed in terms of a power role and the other one isn't. If a husband is called to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church, then he's called to love his wife in a way that dies most literally to himself out of his love for her. Any other picture of leadership, as we're going to talk about next week, is a disaster and a lie. But acknowledging that God has created and ordered and marriage is is not a terrible thing. It's that God has given specific and distinct roles to women and men. And those roles are vital and they're important and they're equally beautiful. 
And they're designed within the context of marriage with this concept of helpmates and mutual partnership. And we're in this thing as one new flesh together. There's not one hierarchical move in which one is more important than the other, but equal role, equal roles play out in this beautiful one flesh to create this picture of marriage by which the entire world will know that Christ is king. Now within that created order, right? This is our fourth point. So we've got this willful and this kind of, uh, you know, this, this idea that is, is willful and I'm laying down my life. We have this picture here that it's, it's one, not one-sided, but it is this picture, this special call that God has created and ordered this thing. But within that order, right, there is a recognizing that God has called her husband to the spiritual leadership in the home under Christ. It's really hard to, not get, to try and get away from this. Here's what he says. He says, now, right, for husband's the head of the wife, as Christ the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. We'll get to the word in everything in a minute. In that created order, in which there are specific roles for husbands and wife that are beautifully and tangibly and wonderfully woven together to create this beautiful picture of marriage, a husband is given a very specific role of leading the spiritual side of the home. That is his call. As Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the spiritual head of the house. Now, at that point in time, most of us are going, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you this, and I got a lot to say to you guys next week about husbands because we are called to lead and we are terrible at it. All right, we'll get to that. But a lot of us see this as some type of threat, as if I have lost my spiritual voice as a, as, a, as a wife or as a woman in the context of marriage. And it's just simply not true. But there is a designation in which a man, a, a God-fearing, surrendered my life to Jesus in the biblical context of marriage, man is called to be under the authority of Christ and to lead his family in pursuant and to chase Jesus Christ. It becomes his sole role as the leader of that spiritual family to chase Christ with his wife and his children. And it's important because it's not that a wife doesn't or shouldn't, but a man cannot neglect his role and a wife should acknowledge that that role should be her husband's. You should lead our family in pursuit of Jesus. And most of us as men fail here. Paul is going to hammer us next week. But this is important because in this created order, right, acknowledging and embracing, not resisting and fighting against that God has created this order, we acknowledge in that created order, and I recognize that the husband that has surrendered his life to Christ, who I love and gave my life to and who loves me and gave his life to me, has a specific role to lead our family under Christ. And that value there is important. He's not leading our family as some kind of conquistador into the unknown. But he leads under the authority of Christ in which each of our roles are equally and vitally important to create this marriage by which the entire watching world will see the beauty of Jesus Christ expressed. And the fifth thing that we see here is simply this, that it is a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. 
This is actually a call. Paul is saying it in Scripture. It is the breath of God breathed out that a wife's divine call by God is to affirm, right, to affirm her husband's calling. Meaning that simply I am called to tell you and affirm in you that I believe that you can lead and should lead this family. And it's not that I don't have a spiritual voice, that I can't, but that I recognize that God has given you a specific role and he's given me a specific role. And those roles are complementary to each other. And they wove together beautifully to create this thing called marriage. And I don't want you to escape your role. And so therefore, my voice is also to hold you accountable to Christ to lead this family. And therefore, I love you and I love Christ and I willfully and voluntarily lay down my life for you as you do for me. But take up your role. So when we talk about submission, we are not talking about power. We are not talking about giving in to the voice and demands of a husband because he is the only one that can speak out loud or he is somehow something else. We are talking about the willful laying down of my life as his willful laying down of his life and this idea of mutual submission by which God has created this beautiful order in which a husband and wife have different and specific roles that are complementary and beautiful and point to the expression of grace of Jesus Christ to the watching world. And in that created order, part of that calling, right, is the laying down of my life to the reality that my husband, who has given his life to Christ and who is my partner, has a specific calling to lead this family. And my divine calling as a wife is to acknowledge it Encourage it, push for it, and support it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I know a lot of us hear these things and we're like, I still can't get past the twisting in my heart and my head of the sort of callous nature by which some of these words rub me. But I'm asking you just to bear with me for a moment, okay? Because that's what we know submission to be. So what is it not? Because right, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention just a few of these things first. So what is, what's, what is submission not? Well, submission is not letting your husband take the place of where Christ should be, as if he's some sort of absolute authority. This is really important, right? Because as a wife, your first and foremost and only in terms of submission to absolute authority is Jesus himself. Your husband is fully sinful and fully flawed. Your submission, first and foremost, is to Jesus Christ as the absolute authority, as is the husband's full submission to Jesus Christ as the absolute authority. You should never follow your husband into sin. Your submission is not putting your husband in the place that only Christ should be. Right? Your voice, your allegiance, your authority is in Christ alone, first and foremost, always and forever. So it's important to understand that because sometimes we think that there is power at play here. We can't get past the idea that somehow power plays into this and I have to give in to what my husband says. That's not what submission is here. If you work with the real definition that we're talking about, it is a willful and voluntary laying down of my life because I love Jesus. Not because I have to or he made me or because he said it and therefore I have to do it. 
That is not the submission that Paul is referring to. He is talking about a joyful, literally using the word joyful, a joyful and willing laying down of my life because I get to. I love Jesus. Submission is not putting my husband in the place that Christ should be. All right? Submission is not giving up my independence or my independent thought. I hear this argument all the time. That's not even remotely what this is about. Remember, this isn't any power at play here. God doesn't, or Paul doesn't address this section by saying, okay, husbands, listen. I want you to go home and tell your wives that they are to submit to you. He actually addresses those sisters in the room that are gathered together where this letter is being read, and he says, listen, wives, women, who I respect and who are valuable and who are independent, who have been divinely created and wonderfully made, who are chosen and dearly loved, I'm pleading with you and giving you a call to submit and to love your husbands in this way. He's making this call directly to them. You are created and vital and beautiful and independent and your independent thought and direction is so highly valuable to this mutual partnership. And that role so important that it is not a laying down of that independence or independent thought. It's not a biting of your tongue. It's not a, oh, I better not say this. It is within the context of a beautiful marriage in which both husband and wife are called to submit to one another in a way that says, I love Jesus more than I love myself. And therefore, it's not about biting my tongue, but it's about understanding the roles in which God has given us. And I want to speak into your role. So when God lays something on my heart, when he empowers me, when he calls me, when he gives me vision, I share that with my husband who I love and care for and who I want to lead this family. Submission is not, it is not the death of your independence or independent thought or anything of the sort ever heard anything other than that, it's a complete misunderstanding and misread of what Paul's saying. Right? The third thing that we know that submission is not, as we keep going down that list, is it is not giving in to the demands of your husband or living in any type of fear or cowering out, out of any type of arbitrary authority. Remember our context here. Men and women who love Christ, who have given their hearts to Jesus. Submission is not, right, it is not done in fear. If a husband is called to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church, which we're going to talk extensively about next week, how does Christ love the church? Does he love the church with a power and sword by which he demands a genuflecting knee by every parishioner that shows up saying, you will bow to me? It's not the leadership of Christ. What did Christ come to do? He came to give his life to die, to care for, to nurture, to lay down his very existence for his bride. Submission is not giving into the demands of a tyrant. Submission is not living in fear, having a fear of speaking your voice or your mind. If that's happening, your husband has broken and perverted his own role. And part of the beauty in that marriage and in that context is to be able to speak into that to him. I trust you. 
with my heart and my life not to hurt me, not to make me live in fear, and to not be unapproachable. Submission is not giving in to the demands of a husband, of an authority. Remember, power is not at play here. When power becomes at play, this entire concept is broken and perverted, and we missed it. So we, we get this idea of what submission is in terms of its definition, the voluntary and joyful laying down of my life for someone else because I love Jesus. In this context, a voluntary and joyful laying down of my life for my husband because I love Jesus more, more than me, more than him. And it's a recognition that in that context, he loves me more than himself, and he loves Christ more than he loves himself and me. And it's going to be willful and it's going to be voluntary and it is my special and direct call, but I also know that it's his call towards me. It's mutual. And I know in that context that God has created an order and I'm not threatened by that order. I'm not going to resist that order. I'm not going to fight against that order. But he's given me a special and divine calling as a wife to a husband to support and acknowledge his role as leader in this house spiritually. And my divine call is to support it and chase it and encourage it, and flesh it out. So that together, what we become is this incredible picture of Christ's love to the entire world. Submission is not surrendering to him as if he were my sole authority or Christ. Submission is not laying down my independence and my independent thoughts. Submission is not living in some type of fear or giving into demands or letting power play in that relationship. So with all those things kind of tied together, what I want you to understand is that Paul says two things that are really important that I think bring all these things to a beautiful picture here. Listen to what he says in the very set. Wives, submit to your husbands. That word your is really important. These are the two things I want you to understand that are going to bind these together. Wives, submit to your husbands. It doesn't say wives, submit to husbands or to men. This is a very specific call in a very specific, intimate, and safe relationship in which a wife is called to voluntarily and joyfully lay down her life the same way her husband is called to voluntarily and joyfully lay down his life within the context of biblical marriage in which both parties have said, Jesus, I love you more. This is not a call for all women to obey men, period. It's a collapse of this understanding. It is not a call for women to submit to men or all men in any context. This is the context of the church within the context of a deeper picture of intimacy and marriage. It's safe or it should be. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, yes, we are all called to submit to one another, right? We know that, to lay down our lives. But this calling we know is more intimate and it is more special and it is more defined. And it's called to be done within the context of the beauty and sanctity and safety of marriage. Okay, that's first piece. The second piece is this. It is called to be done in the context of someone who deeply and truly loves you. Now, we don't see that word love pop up until the next verse, which we're going to talk about next week in chapter 25, where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 
So the context in which submission takes place is in the beauty and intimacy of biblical marriage with a husband who deeply and dearly loves you in the same manner that Christ loves the church and who commands that husband to love you in the exact same way. In fact, his call to mutual submission is to love you in a way that dies. Dies to himself, his own way of life, his own agenda, his own desires. Lays down his life for you, for his children, ultimately and possibly to the point of death even. Because he loves you so deeply and dearly as Christ loved the church. Think about that call for a minute. How does Jesus love you? As the church, right? The ecclesia, the body of which you are. Remember, the church is in a building. It's a people. Christ loves you. How does Jesus love you? Deeply and unconditional, without berating. With this incredible, unconditionally grace-filled, extravagant love. husband is commanded to love his wife in that way. So your submission to that role or whatever that looks like within the context of your individual marriage is done within the context of someone who loves you like Christ, loves the church. Now, that's a bigger call for a husband, which we're going to get into next week, but this is the picture in which submission should be taking place. And if it's not, then husbands, we've got a lot to talk about. Because safety in this context is really important. Because remember, power is not at play. So submission begins to take place in the context of my husband and my wife, our marriage together, which is nurtured and held together by the very movement of Christ himself, by which my husband loves me, and I have no doubt that he loves me the way that Christ loves the church. Now, I get that's a beautiful picture, and that's not everybody's reality. I understand that. And Scripture actually has a lot to say about that, and we can get into it another time. But for the picture of this, what we should be fighting for is this is how we love each other in the context of marriage. Wives, if you are not loving your husbands in this way, husbands, if you're not loving your wives in this way, we are missing the bigger picture of the rules and definitions of biblical marriage. Submission is not something to shy away from. It's something to dive into. Submission is not something we have to let ourselves be taken over by. Submission is something we get to do joyfully in the context and safety of biblical marriage with someone who truly loves us. It's not simply a call for wives. It's also a call for husbands. But those calls are very different in how they're played out. Now, you just can't ignore it. We can't pretend it's not there, but it's also not a threat. It's not something we look at and say, I, should, I, I don't like this. The reality is this is beautiful. If understood correctly in its context, it's beautiful. God is a God of created and beauty or order in which he desires for our marriages to be expressions of Christ's love for the church. Do you know that your marriage is an incredible evangelistic tool to the watching world? How you love one another, how you interact together is a demonstration of Christ's love to the world. This is what it means when he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If if an outsider cannot look inside your marriage and see a picture of Christ's beauty and grace, husbands, you are failing. All right, 
all that wrapped together to say this. Submission to one another is a beautiful call from Christ. It's a beautiful call from the Father because it's what Christ did for us. It's actually a picture of the gospel, which is you did nothing to earn it, to merit it, to warrant it. But God in his infinite, incredible, and divine love for you did for you what you could not do on your own. That he sent his son Jesus to this earth to walk, to live, to die, to be crucified and resurrected so that you might have eternal life. It's all about grace. It's not about power. God could have come and with power overthrown and pushed everything and forced and done all the things that a God of infinite power could do. But he didn't. He walked this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He loved those that the world wouldn't even go near. He walked through lands that people wouldn't put their feet in. And he told people they deserved and were created and were beautiful when the world around them told them they were broken and diseased and worthless. In the context of marriage, this is the reflection that our love should have to the watching world. It's a gospel reflection. So what I want you to do as you leave this place, as we close our time, is I want you to look at these verses in the context of saying, what is the beauty here? Like, what is God doing? And why would I be threatened by this? What is it that I don't like? And is that a problem with Scripture? Or is that a problem in me? And each of us, husbands and wives, or future husbands and wives, should be examining our hearts saying, do I love my spouse like this? Does she know that I love her this way? Does he know that I love him this way? We might have some work to do in our marriages. Husbands, you're next. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this picture. As challenging as it is, it's equally as beautiful. Like all things in Scripture, Lord, we can look at them and our humanity can bristle at them. We cannot like them. Uh, we can say that doesn't fit within my understanding of what I feel like I deserve in my culture. But typically that's a misread. Typically it's a misunderstanding. Typically it puts me at the center. When we're offended by things in Scripture, it's typically because I have put myself as the center point. The truth is, Lord, in the context of marriage, you are the center point. Everything is and holds together because of you. You are the picture of what true love looks like. You are the call that each of us are to have within our relationship to one another and within the picture of our biblical marriages. That I am called in a wonderful and beautiful way to lay down my life for my spouse, to joyfully and willfully submit to him and to her because I love you more, to die to myself so that you might be glorified, I get to do this. And in the midst of this, I recognize the created order that you have made, Lord, by which I have a very specific role as a wife and by which I have a very specific role as a husband. And those roles aren't threatening. They're not something I should shy away from, but they're things to be embraced. They're divinely created and ordered. And part of that is recognizing that these things are about you and about your glory. There are things we get to do, not have to do. And they're designed to be done within the safety and sanctity of marriage 
by which my husband and my wife, whatever they are, they love me the way that you love me. And that I don't live in fear, but I live in the safety of knowing that. And Lord, the truth is, if I'm not loving my wife that way, or if I'm not loving my husband that way, then convict our hearts and push us to be men and women that love like that. Submitting to one another into our specific and beautiful roles, taking up those mantles so that we can show the watching world what the beautiful love of Christ looks like. As we close our time in worship this morning, I encourage you to examine your own heart, your own marriage. Is this threatening to me? Am I offended by this? Why is that? What's causing me to be calloused? Or maybe it's something I long for. Maybe I should have a conversation with my spouse about it. Maybe I should say, I want this. I, I want to live differently. I want to feel safe. I, I want to feel like you support me or you encourage me or I want to feel like I have a voice here. Like maybe I need to speak into the safety of that marriage and tell my spouse what I'm struggling with. Maybe this is an invitation to something more beautiful and deeper. Whatever it is, don't leave here if the Lord is moving and tugging on your hearts without addressing it directly. Let's stand together and close our time in worship, giving God glory and honor for the way that he orders and directs and leads our lives. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. And to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is only bound to Strange and divine, I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd will
dread for I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus fled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea oh the chains are released I can sing I am free yet not I but through Christ in me with every breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day i know he will renew me until i stand with joy before the throne to this i hold my hope is only jesus Amen. So my prayer is that as you hear these verses and you allow them to sink in your heart, that these aren't places of threat or places of uh, that I might be uh, at a struggle point. But these are incredibly encouraging things in which God speaks directly to us. And if that's not your role today, if you're not in a married relationship, but one day you will, and I, I pray that these are things that you may tuck away or that God would use them to encourage your heart into another way or to speak into the lives of the people around you. But this is an incredible expression by which God has given the church to manifest his glorious and beautiful love to the entire watching world. These are not meant to hold us back, but instead to thrust us forward into this beautiful place by which we become the visible picture of an invisible grace. Go in peace.